Welcome to another episode of Hat Collecting with me, your host, Lacey Artemis. And today I am joined by Mallory Cooper, who is an author, a maker, a model, a cosplayer, and uh, more. From She's from Massachusetts and drive, describes herself as a rare extrovert writer who loves to hang out with readers and people in general. Uh, and if you see her at a convention, she'd probably be rocking a cat suit or cosplaying as a familiar character. Um, thank you for joining me today, Mallory. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, so uh, I do prep my guests a little bit before they come on just to kind of try to help things uh, flow a little bit more smoothly. So uh, the first question is, uh, what are the current projects that you're working on and the, the various hats that you're wearing for those projects? Well, I just finished um, finished the edits yesterday and tomorrow it releases by 100th uh, book. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So that's been that's been the consumed me pretty much all through August. And so I've, I've just finished writing it. And now because I'm a, I'm an independent author, my next step is to actually publish the book um, and, and market it and get do do all the various tasks I have to do with that, create the print edition and everything. So um, that's, that'll be my next hat. And at the same time, I'm writing two books in September as well. So I'll be pretty busy doing that too. Hmm. Yeah, I'm currently in the process of writing my own first novel. <laughs> it got quite a quite a head start on me, <laughs> um, but I'm I just uh, currently getting uh, getting feedback on the third draft, and I'm already thinking about the the next revision. But it's been a it's been an interesting and good learning experience. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to get that done. My goal is to publish it by the end of the year if all goes well. Cool. So, um, are you thinking yeah. you're gonna you're gonna independently publish it as well? I was thinking about shopping it to publishers, but I kind of feel like until I've actually got something out and got some like buzz and some like kind of an audience and a, and a following that that's maybe not going to be the most fruitful endeavor. So I'm probably yeah. just going to self-publish it. I mean, self-published authors actually make more money than uh, traditionally published authors these days. So, oh, that's good from, to know. From a, from, a, from a career standpoint, some people don't want to publish for those reasons. They their goals are different, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess if I was like going to be a full-time author, then that would maybe make a bit more sense to try to get like the, but it's, it's just one of many prongs of my creative arsenal. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So if you remember this, uh, when you were younger, do you remember what you wanted to be or do when you grew up? Actually, the wild thing is I wanted to be an author hmm. uh, when I grew up, when I was, um, once I was 11 years old, I got to the end of Return of the King in Lord of the Rings and decided that I didn't want the story to end. So I started writing my own stories and making my maps and building my own world and stuff like that, where the stories could just keep on going. Mm. And everybody in my life told me that it was stupid and um, you couldn't be, make any money as an author. Um, and I basically got pretty much browbeaten throughout my teens um, to not do it. And I was really good with computers and everybody I knew told me, Oh, you should get into computers. You should get into computers. Cause of course they're thinking about of everything from a livelihood standpoint, which is to be fair. I mean, it's my parents were worried that, you know, if this person's a starving artist to be in our basement forever, I'm sure that was a concern. <laughs> so they want me to have a, a career that made money. Um, but as it turns, I mean, I, and I did quite well working in it through the years. I, I, be, I was, you know, C-level exec in two companies, working my way up and stuff like that. So I did good there, but um, I always still wanted to write. And so in, um, in the last uh, four years, my writing started taking off really well. And I got the opportunity to be a full-time writer and I went for it. Mm -hmm. 
That's great. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I know in your it's sort of in your bio when I touched on about the the maker part. I was actually curious. Um, uh, so obviously, writing sounds like it's your primary focus. But what sorts of things do you like make or kind of do on the side there? Sure. I mean, I haven't done as much of it lately because writing has consumed. I, I set this crazy goal for myself. I want to create the largest, most internally cons- consistent science fiction universe ever made. Oh, wow. My current goal is to have 500 books by 2030. Um, all in the same universe, but um, which is takes a lot of my my energy, as you can imagine. But mm-hmm. I also love woodworking. Um, I've actually I've always been into into building things with my hands, um, making ideas come to life. And for the longest time, I was I just I, I loved cars, and I even used to be a stock car driver. But the thing I hate about cars is that they just immediately start breaking as soon as you fix them, and you know they'll reach a point where they are no longer functional as a car. But I've always also been interested in woodworking. I'm thinking you make a table. And even if it gets dinged up and banged a bunch and some some crayon stains or something like that, it still functions as a table. You know, it still does what you always wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And you can have a table that can last hundreds of years, whereas there's no car that's going to last hundreds of years and still be something you could um, legitimately use. So I got into woodworking and I didn't have a lot of money for it at the time. So I started like sort of scavenging wood and I discovered that building things out of reclaimed wood, it's actually like a really big industry. Um, and people will pay a lot of money because, you know, you're not cutting down new trees. You're, you know, you're using, you know, existing wood that was already, has already been out there and, and all the effort has already been made to mill it and everything like that. So I started building a lot of furniture out, out of um, reclaimed wood. And for a while, I actually ran that as a fairly significant side business too. And I think that's still something I want to get back into it later. I love being able to take like a, a piece of wood and look at the grain of that wood and try and figure out something to make with it that highlights the beauty of, of that the that the piece has. So I think as I get a little bit older and once I get more further along my book goals, I'll definitely be getting back into that. That's really awesome. Yeah, um, yeah I, I can kind of relate to that because I have, I was just talking to somebody the other day about, uh, I've had an interest for a few years now in like both building and painting like miniatures and little models. Oh yeah. And uh, only very just recently, I finally went to one of those like gaming stores and bought just a couple of little miniatures and went to a craft store and got some some paints for that. I haven't actually done any of it yet, but it's one of those things. I'm like, hey, one of these days, I'm just gonna be like, okay, computer break. I'm gonna go paint something. <laughs> and uh, I recently I posted about this on um, social media. But I recently. Uh, sorry, I had a little fly by my head there. Um, I uh, recently just repainted my guitar that I've been meaning to do for a couple of years because I knew I had to like, I was like researching it and they're saying like, okay, you need to sand, like sand it down back to the wood again and like, yeah. you know, do all this stuff. I'm just like, I'm totally not dealing with all that. So I just I took a little scouring pad and just kind of like scuffed the surface and then put the primer on and put the new paint on. And it turned out a lot better than I was expecting. So I was really happy about that. Yeah, well, um, I've actually done that on a guitars before and they put such thick enamel on them that you can like, you can spend a lot of time trying to get it off. So I probably would have done the same thing you suggested. I mean, as long as your goal is, as long as you don't want to show the wood grain, there's no point in going all the way back down to the wood. Just give yourself a good surface and go from there. Yeah. Um, and kind of what you're saying about the, uh, the reclaimed wood, uh, it's another conversation I've had with, uh, with friends about, uh, you know, that, that sort of uh, the, the motto or the tagline of like, um, reduce, reuse, recycle, or is it like reuse, reduce, recycle? One of those two, yep. but the point being that before you try to recycle something, you should try to reuse it or try to use less of it in the first place. Yeah, so exactly. it makes a lot of sense, especially with something that isn't a, uh, an infinite resource, like, like wood. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So, yeah, I I did notice uh, when I was kind of doing research on you that you do uh, like live sessions on YouTube and Facebook and whatnot, where you're actively writing while people are able to comment and um that that's really interesting to me because i would find personally i would find that extremely distracting but like it's <laughs> awesome that you do that because it is a great way to kind of bring your fans in so one of the ways that a lot of a lot of with any sort of big task if you try and sit down and say i'm going to write a 400 word page novel you know you're you're probably going to you're, you're going to have a hard time doing that because it takes a very long time to reach that goal of getting to page 400 so with any big task you know the the the, the saying I always used to hear in the business world was we're not trying to boil the ocean. You know, <laughs> we're just, you just got to do things in small, manageable chunks. And then, um, and so what writers typically do, these things called sprints where you write for maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes, and then you stop and you just sort of chill and you relax and you chat with some friends online or you scroll Facebook book for a bit. And then you get back into it again. You do another 20 minute sprint and another 20 minute sprint. So you're not saying I have to write 5,000 words today. You're just saying, I just have to write for 20 minutes at a time. And, you know, come what may, I, I hope based on my past performance, I'll reach this goal. And, um, and so a lot of writers do that in groups. And what I found is that I'm, I'm addicted to distractions. I'm always like, you know, but what if I went to social media and someone was saying something that I was interested in, or what if I pop into discord and I'd before I'd seen some authors before doing it. And I think they were doing it more for publicity. They wanted to like do as a marketing technique for their book as they were writing it. And I'm just like, I just want accountability. So I do it on screen and my, and my document is showing and I'm showing. So people know if I'm actually writing or not. Um, mm. And I think when I would, when I back, when I would have first started out, this would have been undoable. I would have been way too self-conscious to show a rough draft as it's being created on screen. Um, but like I mentioned before, like this, I just finished my hundredth, uh, hundredth fiction book. I've written a couple of nonfiction ones too. And at that point, it's just like, this is, this is kind of cake. Like you understand, you know, once you've written, I've written 8 million words, which is like writing the Bible about 15 times. Um, and once you get that far and you're like, you know how to construct a scene, you know, uh, um, how to introduce characters, you know, how to tag things well and how to have dynamic conversations. So the rough draft ends up looking a lot better than like my early rough drafts. They were, they were nightmares, you know, they were, they were completely wrong. But now I mean, I have some books right now where the rough draft is basically what got published. Um, hmm. so I, I read through it and said, I don't need to change anything in this. And I said to my editor, my editor, I mean, editors, a good editor will change a lot. And my editor does. Um, but I didn't have to go through the book again. So it's because of that, I think I got the confidence to actually be on screen doing it. And the really neat thing is that um, for whatever reason, a lot of other writers find it really inspiring. And I have a group of maybe like um, 20, 20 to 30 writers total, usually only about like five to 10 of them at a time or have shown up. Um, and they said they get like two to three times more words written doing that stuff with me than they do if they're just doing it by themselves. It's kind of funny because you think writing is like this solitary thing. You're supposed to be doing a yurt on a mountaintop or something like that. <laughs> As it turns out, you put a bunch of writers in a room and you organize them and they, they work really well. Yeah, I, I've sort of tried to, I think some forms of art I can do in that fashion, but I think writing for me, it's such a cerebral process. It requires like a lot of deep concentration. So I don't think that would work for me, but again, like it's great for the people that it works for. Yeah. And I mean, that's the uh, whole thing with writing is, and most creative endeavors is it's all mind games. Figure out the mind game that works for you to get you in the right space and then do it. And then don't be afraid to find a new mind game when the old one stops working. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I uh, wanted to also ask, um, 
so you've you've written a hundred books, which which is a lot. Uh, I don't know how many authors actually ever write that many. Um, but again, more, I'm not more than you think, actually. Okay, um, but I'm curious, like, how long have you been at this for? Like, when did you start, and like, how old are you now? So, well, I start where I am now. I'm currently, I'm 42. <laughs> took, took a moment there. <laughs> um, I've been I, I've been writing all my life, but in I've always been writing fantasy. And it's funny because I read, I've always in, at least in the latter half of my life, I read far more science fiction than fantasy and, but I never thought of writing it. And then I watched um, Firefly and then the movie Serenity. And I thought, I want to write a story like this, but mm-hmm. I want to do it with female leads um, <clears throat> and mostly a mostly female cast. And that's like sort of one of the things that, that is unique in my writing is that um, like, you know, most science fiction movies historically and whatnot, it's, it's been like a, like a five to one male to female ratio in the books. Mine's the other way around. It's five to one female ratio. And you'll have, you'll have scene after scene after scene where there's just no men. And I kind of did it on purpose. I wanted to experiment with a world that, that has, you know, um, a lot more women in, in, in all the positions you typically would see men. Um, but that was, so I wrote that first book in 2007 and I tried to get it published by a traditional publisher, but unfortunately there's only five traditional publishers left um, in the, in the English in the U S Canada, UK uh, market. Hmm. And they're after the crash um, of 2007, 2008, they stopped looking for new talent because they just hmm. didn't have the money to take on new talent and market new talent. They needed sure things. So they just stuck to their existing pool of authors. Um, and on the flip side, when Amazon released the Kindle, I mean, so anyone can publish a book. They kind of changed the world. And, you know, Amazon does a lot of things a lot of people don't like, but um, Amazon is also responsible for the largest boom in literature in human history. There are, there are more books being published every month now on Amazon than were published for probably the first hundred thousand years of human existence or more. Um, like there's, there's 70 to hundred thousand books being published a month right now on Amazon. It's, wow. it's a, so we were we were actually living in the golden age of literature right now, um, which is amazing to think. And, and and of all things, it came from Amazon. You know, like the dread pirate Bezos actually had some some solid outflow there. And Amazon pays authors more than anyone else, um, hmm. almost as much as like you make you'll make um, somewhere between um, twenty and seventy times more money being with Amazon than being with a traditional publisher. So it's, it's, and, and like I said, a lot of people don't do art for a living, but when you get the opportunity to do art for a living, it's, it's pretty freaking awesome. And, and then you, of course, but then you, of course, have to function like a business person too. You transition from being this artist, making things you really like, like into doing a small business that happened for me in 2016. Um, I released my third book. So it took me, I've, I've released my first book in 2012, second in 2015, third in 2016, all on Amazon. And when my third book came out, um, I also learned how to advertise on Facebook around the same time. And I was able to get my books to start taking off really well. And I, I reached a point in November of that year when I released my fourth book that my um, my novel income was was two to one outstripping my, uh, my pay. Mm-hmm. And I knew that just based on the way the market works and from listening to a lot of authors who've been doing it for a long time, that it wouldn't last forever. And eventually it would dwindle. And I knew that I couldn't work a full-time job and release more than like maybe three books a year. So I quit my job with like three months of book sales of good book sales under my belt and just went full-time and went for it. Um, and since I made that decision, I've in the last three and a half years, I've written 95 books and have, 
and have spent those last three and a half years as one of the top 50 science fiction authors in North America. Wow. Yeah, this is something that kind of came up on, on the previous episode where we were talking about this, this distinction between trying to go through like traditional, like official channels, like getting published or being on TV or things like that versus going your own way, self-publishing, self-producing. And like, it might take longer to, to get noticed that way. But once you do, it's like, you've built that and that's, that's yours. And yeah, yeah. um, You own all the IP, you own, you own the viewership. Um, and you can take it whichever way you want without having to worry about investors and other people telling you how you should be marketing yourself and, and building what you want to build. Now, it also fails a lot too. Um, but, it, but I guess the gift to kind of go into it thinking like nothing lasts forever. There will come a day where I will no longer be a successful author um, because I'm old or because there's just so many darn books out there that no one can find me anymore. But I still, I'm proud of what I did now. You know, I can mm-hmm. look back and say, I did, a, I did an amazing thing and I was true to myself while I was doing it and authentic and everything. So... Yeah, absolutely. Um, In a lot of ways. Yeah, no, definitely. And this is something I was also talking about before. I don't want to repeat too much, but uh, like I am also proud of the fact of looking back of how many things I have started myself. And like I'm not great at everything I do, but I've managed to self produce and, and figure a lot of things out. And like even this show, like I'm able to do this because YouTube exists and because I've. I've kind of done a similar thing in the past and I've learned from that. And so, uh, and like, just, this is a bit modeled after like, what are some other people doing right now? And like, I want to do what they're doing and I can, so I'm, yeah, I'm doing totally. it. And um, uh, so the next question on my list here is uh, how, if, if it has, uh, how has um, any mental health or like neurodiverse type struggles uh, affected your trajectory and how have you kind of um, worked through them or overcome them? Well, I think um, the obvious one is that I'm, I'm transgender mm-hmm. and um, I was so far in the closet um, uh, and living in self-denial that like I haven't actually owned men's clothing since like 1998. Hmm. And if you'd asked me up until last March, if I was trans, I would have said no. Um, yeah, I've like, I, I have, I have fallen to sleep every single night since I was five dreaming that I was a girl. Um, but I hadn't fully connected being trans with already being a girl in a way. Like I've, I kind of, I almost felt like you can only be trans if somehow you are this perfect person who will look like a, a, bik- a model in bikini when they transition. I had, you know, I, I blame like an episode of Maury Povich for like actually ruining for me what I thought, uh, or, or postponing what trans really meant for me, the real understanding of it. So a lot of that came out of my writing. Um, and like, I can't, I can barely write male characters. I have a really hard time writing male characters. I don't connect with them or identify with them. Well, mm-hmm. um, at least not as main characters. I have like two and they were really hard to write. And so that mental struggle and, and trying to like constantly be at war with myself and understanding saying like, I want to portray all of these things, but like, I don't know if I can, will people think I'm weird, you know, um, definitely caused a lot of problems with the year, years of my careers. And the other thing I had happen for me too, was that being trans uh, for me came out as, as a kink almost. And I, I found myself in the fetish community because I fetishized my desire to be a woman. And so I, I expressed it that way. Um, 
And it's it's so funny, like just looking back at the amount of cognitive dissonance I lived in. But the great thing was I had the, my writing so that um, I was able to come out in my writing. I, my, my writing, like I never use words like LGBT or gay or lesbian or anything like that, but I'm writing books that take place 4,000 years in the future. I figured like, no one's really, and they're, they're living hundreds of years. I'm like, no one's going to stay one gender and have one haircut and wear the same clothes for like 500 years. People are going to try everything. So I wrote characters that tried everything, you know, characters that um, like, like getting your gender changed and even after your full biological sex changed down to the DNA was like the work of an afternoon kind of thing. So characters would swap a lot. I really want to explore like no one's getting into monogamous relationships for 500 years. You, you would have the murder rate would be through the roof. So, <laughs> so even though at the time I, I grew up evangelical Christian, so even though at the time I still have a lot of these evangelical Christian values in my head, I'm writing polycules and, you know, open marriage is left, right, and center. And I would have told you that I disagree with all those things, but yet I was writing about them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, so that was, that was sort of in that, and I don't know if that's that particular is a mental health issue, but there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that I constantly had to kind of work on. And it consumed a lot of time in my head. Like I think back when I was, before I came out, how much, like I was about like an hour or two struggling with like presentation and, and just mental issues um, built around being trans. Yeah. And on top of that, I'm autistic as well. So that makes it really hard for me to, to deal with gray areas. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, uh, dysfor- gender dysphoria is absolutely a mental health issue. Um, and like, yeah, the autism thing, like I, I am diagnosed autistic. I am not formally diagnosed ADD, but like I am 100% convinced that I am. In fact, I identify more with that now than I do with the hmm. autism thing. Um, and I, I find it's it's a blessing and a curse in, on both fronts. Um, like if I wasn't, my brain wasn't wired this way, I, I wouldn't be this like eclectic person that I am. Yeah. But certainly it's it's created challenges and you know, I think we, we talked briefly on, on Discord about um, like you had to kind of publicly transition with your audience. And I yeah, kind yeah. of did the other thing where I just disappeared off the internet for a year and a half and then reinvented myself because that's what made me feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that we're able, I think we're able to tell much more engaging, rich, uh, colorful stories because we have this different experience and, we're kind of forced to be more creative just to like get by in the world and, and to function. Yeah. I think we also had to do, at least speaking for myself, I had to do a lot more soul searching, a lot more mm-hmm. like, why doesn't the world make sense to me? Why don't I fit? Um, why don't I, why do I, why do I fit in places that I'm not supposed to fit? And that caused me, I think to, to, to really, to take a lot less for granted. I think a lot of people take a lot of things about the world for granted. Um, but in a way it kind of gave me, an extra bit of joy for, for all the things that make us different and for, for smaller things. And I feel like that helps a lot in creativity because if you want to create something, you have to have that joy for, for these details um, and a joy that, you know, you can never really articulate to anyone else. But if you, if you make the thing and show it to the right people, they will love it. Yeah. That's, that's what's been exciting about like having reinvented myself. And like, I've, I definitely have gotten farther and more engagement now, which I guess kind of makes sense because I'm being more authentic and I'm more, more passionate about what I'm doing. And so that's been really exciting and it feels really, really amazing. uh, Cause like there was a lot of frustration, a lot of uh, struggle before and like there's still struggle and there's still frustration but it's it's different and it's less I think yeah I um, I do a lot of public speaking to, to with author groups and whatnot um, because I teach courses on advertising 
for authors and um, also on productivity. And um, so, of course, so I had to I had to transition both to my peers in the author author community and to all of my readers um, as well. And a lot of my my peers in the author community said that I was always a, an outgoing, friendly person, but they're like, I am way more approachable, outgoing, friendly, um, easy to get along with now. Um, because I was, I was kind of prickly before, and I think some of it was because I was always like um, losing some spoons every single day to to dealing with the fact that I was trans. Like I remember thinking so much about like how can I present a little bit more feminine wearing these kinds of tight jeans, but not like give away any clues that I want to look feminine, you know? So I'll wear this other shirt, and like I would spend, I was for like an hour every day, like like debating like my minuscule wardrobe, <laughs> you know, to try and like present how I wanted to. I absolutely know what you mean because when I first started to to even when it's just at work originally and I work in a very small company in a small office and it just started with literally like I got like a purple watch band for my or wristband for my watch and I started to wear like purple socks and just like these tiny things and it made like, me someone's gonna figure out I'm trans because I'm wearing this color. <laughs> well, yeah, like it, but it it was it's so disproportionate because I'm like oh I have a purple watch strap. It's like I think I'm wearing like this neon sign on my wrist and it's like no nobody's gonna know notice that no, no, one, no one notices no one cares you know yeah like, i used to worry so much that i was outing myself by all the, like things of that scale you know and now look at me like i wear cat suits all the time you know and i'm walking around in in eight inch heels at staples or something like that yeah so i'm gonna get to our, our final question sure now, just to kind of keep us in the in the time zone that i wanted to um so I guess it's all, it's kind of related as well in terms of kind of talking about like creatives and, and our process and how we work. And um, do you consider yourself more of a morning person, a night person, something in between? So I used to always be a, a night person. Um, I used to stay up late and, um, and sometimes work till like three or four in the morning. And part of that was because I used to have a really hard time concentrating with other people around. So I would get a lot of my work done after everybody else went to bed. Um, but once I, I mean, through, I don't know, if, like, it's hard to tell which things were the genesis. Cause as you get older, you just learn more about how to manage yourself. Um, and you start to see these patterns and you're like, oh, that just isn't just something happening randomly. It's because I did this thing that now I feel like that. Like I have this weird thing. If I don't sleep very well, I feel fine the next day, but the second day I feel like garbage, you know? And so, so I know like, oh, I feel like shit today. It's because I didn't sleep well two days ago. And you start to identify all these little patterns in yourself. So you can be more productive. And when, when you're younger, you're just like, I don't know what's wrong. Everything's just broken. Um, so I, but, but I, so I think part of that was had to do with my, I wasn't well able to function around other people with their, when there were distractions because I, I didn't understand myself that well. But as I got older, I was actually able to become a lot more productive earlier in the day. Um, and, and then of course I, I've, my daughter is now 10 years old. So a child has a way of altering your schedule and our daughter's an early riser. So mm -hmm. that she's kind of, my, my wife's also always been an early riser, but I didn't want to be that person laying in bed while, while my wife is taking care of our daughter. So I became an early riser as well. And then being trans um, and going out a lot and being a lot of events and whatnot, it just takes longer to get ready. So I ended up having to be like the kind of person that gets up at six in the morning. And I've actually kind of shifted now to the point where I love getting up early and being really productive before noon. And I've even beyond that taken time to figure out my rhythms because everybody has rhythms through the day where they're, they're better able to create and then parts of the day where you're better able to learn things and take information in. And I figured out to a degree, at least where my rhythms are and, and um, I can maximize my day. And now I can, I used to have to work like, um, 
like 15 to 20 hour days to get a certain amount of things done. And now I can get that much stuff done like in a couple hours in the morning and then the afternoon, just because I mm-hmm. took the time to really think about and understand where I was productive, what maybe not productive and everything. So I guess the short answer is I used to be a night owl and now I'm a morning person. <laughs> yeah, you're adaptable and that's good. And and I get that too, because both the people that I, that I live with, both my roommates are uh, very much more night people than me. Um, so I, I sent like, Oftentimes when I'm like, okay, I'm tired, I'm going to bed, and they're like, oh, I'm making dinner now. Just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, um, you, you get the ability to eventually kind of tell what things are going to take more energy. Be like, okay, if I want to do this thing, I'll do this other thing afterwards because it might take too much of my energy. You know, you can, you can, you, you can play around with it, or you can sometimes you just identify the foods that can give you more energy. You know, in a short burst if you need it. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'll have you uh, give your your plugs, like your your handles and your whatever you want people to go and wherever you want them to go to check you out. And then we can uh, do our sign off with with our hats. Right. We're doing a sign off with hats. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> you said is that is the is the one on your head right now? Is that what you meant by your hat earlier? Yeah, oh, it's a fascinating. Okay. I thought it was just like one of those like little uh, like little bow kind of things oh, i didn't no, realize no. it was actually a hat, oh, hat. So that works totally good for you um yeah well, i'll actually put a hat on then <laughs> yeah i guess yeah the angle i was at it just kind of looked like a, a fancy yeah, thing yeah like a little flower <laughs> um but yeah so what are your uh, your handles your any websites or places you want people to check sure. you out so you can um find me on instagram um twitter and YouTube and Facebook, just as Mallory Cooper. If you search for Mallory Cooper on any of those platforms, you'll find me. Um, it's usually Mallory Cooper or Mallory.Cooper, depending on the platform. Um, I also write, my fiction books are written under MD Cooper, um, which was sort of fortuitous because when I changed, when I, when I transitioned, I was able to keep my my uh, same pen name, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look me up on Amazon under, just look for MD Cooper, you'll find my books there. And you can also go to my website, aeon14.com, A-E-O-N-14.com. And that's where you can also find all about the books and the universe that I've made. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. So I think what we're going to do here, or, well, I guess just me, because you're already kind of there. But uh, <laughs> I the whole time. So I was like, I'll be ready. <laughs> so I'm going to have to take off my, my bigger headphones so that I can actually put the hat on. But uh, I'll put the hat on, and then we can, uh, we can wave goodbye to our, our sweet audience. <laughs> all right. So just give me a second here. I won't be able to hear you for a second, so don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> all right. So put that over there. Uh, fix my hair a little bit. Um, so. Oh, I like it. It suits you so <laughs> well. The angle right. There we go. So, yeah. Um, thanks for watching uh, Hat Collecting, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. You can check me out, uh, my my things, uh, Artemis Creates everywhere. And uh, yeah, I'll put all I'll put all the links up on my screen here for for convenience. And uh, until next time, thank you for watching, and I hope that you learned something. Mm-hmm.